You're listening to iFanboy Talksplode with Sam Humphreys, writer of Our Love is Real. Hey, welcome to another edition of iFanboy Talks Explode. My name is Ron Richards, and this time around we're talking with writer Sam Humphreys, who you may be familiar with from his work on Fraggle Rock for Archaea, as well as the CBGB anthology for Boom, as well as some other comics projects. But this time around we're talking about his recently released self-published one-shot with artist Steven Sanders called Our Love is Real. Uh, this book pretty much came out of nowhere and sold out very quickly. It was a really interesting story, so as soon as I could, I hopped on the phone with Sam to hear all about the story of Our Love is Real, and let's hear what he has to say. All right, so I'm here with writer Sam Humphreys. How you doing, Sam? Good, Ron. How you doing? Doing very well. Doing very well. So, uh, so a lot of people might be aware of your work from you know you worked on the CBGB anthology as well as you worked on the Fra- right. Fraggle Rock stuff from Archaea. But we're here right. to, we're here to talk about your recently self published book, Our Love Is Real. Mm-hmm, that's right, my brand new book. Yeah, so congratulations, came out uh, just recently this month. Thank you very and, much. Yeah, and uh, interesting story around the release of it, but uh, before we get to like the business side <laughs> of stuff, I, I want to, sure. <laughs> for people who haven't heard of Our Love is Real, so what is the what is the two-minute uh, description or elevator pitch of Our Love is Real? What is the, What can people expect when they pick up this book? Oh, boy. You know, I, I, no matter what kind of elevator pitch I, I think is, still leaves plenty to not expect. I think it leaves plenty that is unexpected. People are always surprised when they read the book. <laughs> but uh, the, in a nutshell, it's just, it's a science fiction one-shot, just 24 pages. Uh, it takes place in the future after an AIDS vaccine, and um, uh, it's about a riot cop whose entire life and identity and conception of himself is thrown into chaos when he has a chance encounter during a riot. Now, if, if you'll notice, I've left some, some couple key details out of there, which is this, this, this society post-AIDS has developed settlement forms of sexuality, including the riot cop who uh, is in love with a dog. <laughs> that, that's that, that was the that was the big thing to take away from it is that uh, the, this kind of this kind of uh, this kind of futuristic society that you've built has got some different morals around uh, the idea of sex and love and things like that. So we're exactly yeah. So we're it's different definitions, let's say maybe not morals. Sure, yeah, different definitions. So I guess the first question is, do you own a dog? <laughs> I do not. My my building does not does not allow dogs. I. I, you know, it, it, it may be surprising. I, I don't have a, a big history of pets. My parents didn't let me to have pets no matter how much I begged them to. Uh, the closest I came was a fish. <laughs> so so when you sat down and said, okay, well, I'm going to invent this whole kind of world, where did the idea to have people who were in love with dogs and have it be societally acceptable, as well as the other, you know, it's not limited to just dogs. you got people who are who have relationships with ve- vegetables yeah. and minerals and yeah, we, all sorts we, of stuff. We, we got people... You know, we, we got uh, veggie sexuals who are into plants, and we got mineral sexuals uh, who have uh, sexual intercourse with crystals, but without any kind of physical contact. Um, so yeah, it, it it goes just beyond uh, man's best friend, so to speak. Um, you know, it, that that's a fair question. Where does this come from? And there's there's sort of a lot of different influences on on my thinking and how this really crystallized in my head. Uh, no pun intended. But 
One thing I always come back to is, um, Ron, do, do you remember a website called dolphinsex.org? <laughs> no, sadly, I don't. I wish I did, though. <laughs> <laughs> this, was a, uh, this, this website was, was all the rage back in the day before it got taken down. Um, it, it was just one of those, those uh, emails you got with a, a really intriguing URL on your friend saying, you got to check this out. Dolphinsex.org was a, a one-page website, and it was just text and maybe like an animated GIF of like a dolphin jumping over a rainbow or some bullshit. And uh, it was purportedly written by a guy who had a romantic and sexual relationship with a dolphin. Jeez. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, is, it is eye-opening stuff for sure. I mean, it, it made my jaw drop, especially because he gets uh, not just explicit about the sexual relationship, but he gets very technical. Um, it, it's almost like if you feel this urge to, here's how you can get it done. But what really, I mean, that was mind-blowing enough, but what really kind of took me over the edge was his description of, of why he believed that this was not a relationship where he was taking advantage of a somewhat lesser intelligent life form. He believed that this was a consensual romance, a, 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 a love story between two animals that just happened to be different species. He said that the dolphin was in love with him just as much as uh, he was in love with it, and that uh, it was a fully consensual uh, sexual and romantic relationship, um, which was a concept for reasons that are obvious that I had never, ever considered before in my life. Uh, but it, it certainly it, it, it kind of spun my mind down a path, and I was like, well, if you can take that as, as a given, if you just sort of accept his logic, what, where, where can you go from there? Well, it's interesting. So, um, so after so after being clued into dolphin sex, did the, this idea kind of <laughs> germinate in your head? And like, and then what you know, what what led to you teaming up with Steven Sanders to actually say, okay, let's do this comic? Uh, you know, I, I I wrote the first draft of the script maybe like eight years ago or so. It's it's been kicking around a long time. Uh, the the original script was very very different in some ways, but the the core ideas. Uh, the core plot, the characters are very much the same. Um, so, you know, it's something that I actually approached Sanders about uh, maybe, maybe about five years ago. Uh, Sanders and I first met or interacted on the Warren Ellis one way back in the day. Oh, I remember that. Um, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So that you know, that's where we first met. And, you know, Warren Ellis form is also where I kind of got this this bug to just be like, I'm just, I'm just going to publish something and uh, I, I just want to get it out there. So... I, I, you know, I, I lost momentum in the intervening years. You know, I, I took on some other writing jobs that worked for MySpace for a while. But at the end of last year, I just kind of got this. I, I don't. Know, I, I was just possessed with this notion that I needed to spend more time making comic book pages than I do sort of negotiating with or chasing down publishers. I should still work with publishers and network and do all that kind of stuff. But while all that is sort of running its course, and you know, sometimes these deals in any industry they take forever to get through. While I'm doing that, I need to be making the most of my time and just making pages, finding artists, working with artists, writing stories, getting getting books out there. Um, you know, I, I think you know you you could look at it. You just, sometimes you you talk with publishers and you spend months talking back and forth, and then it amounts to nothing. And I think the wrong attitude with that is to say like they wasted my time. You know, what you're really saying is I wasted my own time. 
because during during that whole process, you could just be making making books, making stories. Nobody's stopping you. So that was the the sort of driving force late last year when I contacted Stephen. I was like, hey. <laughs> You remember that, that script I have about dog sex? And he's like, how can I forget? Um, and and he uh, fortunately was in a break in his schedule with his Marvel work, and he was still super into the idea, thankfully. I don't think you can find a lot of people who would be like, this is a book I, I, I want my name on forever. Um, but he was more than willing. And you know, on top of that, his work has just gotten more and more spectacular. You know, five years ago, I felt like he was right for the project, but even even more so now, um, I feel like he's he made he made such an indelible contribution to the work. I just feel uh, very very lucky to have gotten him on board. Right, right. So, so as you as you worked as you worked closely with them, um, how much of the look and feel of the kind of futuristic world did you just you know basically some descriptions in the script and let him run with it, or or how much direction did you give him in in terms of the collaboration? I I left quite a bit of that to him. Uh, all the look and feel, these these spectacular sci-fi designs, um, the 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 armor, the the clothes, the costume. That was really, I mean, like ninety percent Sanders. The, the look of the city, um, all this stuff, the, down to the look of the guns and everything. Sanders put a, a lot of work into preliminary sketches and concepts. He drew all sorts of vehicles and uh, weaponry and stuff that never appear in the comic. Um, my direction to him was, was very broad. You know, I was just like, this is the kind of society we're looking at, and this is what this character's inner life is like, and this is what this character's sort of uh, scene or, or social circle is like. Here's what their values are. And he uh, interpreted all those things beautifully in a, in a very uh, visual manner. So, I, you know, I, I, I did not have to give him uh, much specific direction visually. He just took it and ran with it. And I, I, I think his, his sci-fi designs are spectacular. Uh, there are any uh, motion picture producers out there who need a sci-fi designer <laughs> I, you, and you don't look up Stephen Sanders, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. Uh, <laughs> the amount of work he put into it and the designs are fantastic. He just really has an eye and a mind for it. Yeah, I mean that's what really impressed me reading the issue, reading the the issue is just how um, how how really kind of visualized the whole world is in, and I got a sense of this is bigger. This world is bigger than just this story. Uh, have you guys talked yeah. t- talked about doing more than just this one shot in, in this universe, in this kind of world that you've created? Or well, yes and no. I mean, <laughs> I, it, it, I I think I said somewhere else there. There's not a lot of evidence that the market is ready for a 60-issue 60, 60 epic with this kind of content and kind of subject. And, in fact, there was zero evidence that the market was ready for a one-shot with this kind of content. Uh, but I went ahead and did it anyway. You know, I, a, a one-shot is certainly a safe way to dip your toe uh, into a, a, a provocative idea or a provocative concept. Because you know you you, you minimize your risk. It's, it's only one issue you have to fund and and pay for and, and push out there. Uh, but also you know you can you can make a mess in the story. You don't have to clean it up in the next issue. Um, but you know that said, I do have uh, three or four ideas for some pretty solid long form stories in this world um, with different characters and touching upon different aspects. You know it's it's been really interesting reading. The reactions online because people uh, really have been poking at the edges of the story and kind of the holes or 
are asking questions like, well, you know, if they talk about this, what about all that? And uh, a lot of a, a lot of things that just couldn't fit in there, you know, are present in these other stories. I'd love to get them out there. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if there's a publisher that, that's really willing to take it on. But then again, I, I didn't expect this book to, to blow out blow up the way it did so who knows what the future can can hold yeah well and that's a pretty good segue because so the other aspect of it was so so you and you and sanders worked together and you did this book um and then you chose to self-publish it and i think uh, what was interesting about it was that not only did you self-publish it but you did it in a very unique kind of manner um both embracing kind of the future with digital comics as well as still Mm -hmm. with a nod to the print comics For, for those who aren't aware of what happened what was your kind of uh publishing strategy Sure. Uh, either there were and, and are, for the moment, three ways to get the book. Uh, if you want a print copy, uh, we have uh, nine very excellent, awesome, uh, understanding retail partners. Uh, they're all listed on the website. The website, by the way, is ourloveisrealcomic.com. Um, we've got retailers in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Portland, Toronto, New York. Uh, so you can go to a local retailer and buy a book there. Uh, you can also go on the website and order individual copies uh, online for mail order, uh, and we'll ship those to you. And the third method is digital download via Comicsology, which, of course, is an instantaneous, always-in-stock method of getting your hands on the comic. Right. And so, and so now when the book came out, when it was released – I mean, I heard. Yeah. I mean, I talked to my retailer here in San Francisco, and he said he was getting calls all day from people asking if they had the print versions. Um, oh, you know, you my know. man, James Time. Right? Yes, indeed, yeah, but Isotope. That's right. <laughs> so, Isotope, shout out. So, so yeah, so it, I, I thought it was interesting that that there seemed to be a real palpable buzz around the book. What do you attribute that yeah. to? Is that is that just because it was about a dude in love with a dog, or because that you were taking kind of like a a new uh, like the new uh, frontier approach of publishing? Boy, you know, it's it's hard to say. I you know, I think it's a little bit all the above. And you're very kind of calling New Frontier in publishing. I'm not sure that's a good <laughs> Well, it is. I mean, it, uh, I mean the, the, I mean a lot, you know, a lot of the I mean, we've seen a lot of the public I mean, I know because I work, you know, I work for graphically, I work in digital comics. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, a lot of publishers are you know are still stuck to the well? I got to put it out in print in in a you know several thousands print run and then and then after it's been mm-hmm. out for a while, then go to digital. But you said no, let's do a day and date. And if it seems of anything, the major- I don't know what your sales look like, but I'm guessing the majority were digital sales, right? Uh, it, you know, it's hard to say. I actually don't have any numbers on the digital sales yet. The digital sales, I just know from feedback um, that was a very popular option. I think in, in terms of why I decided to go digital, it comes down to a couple of different things. One is I am a digital guy. Uh, I've been working in new media uh, for almost 13 years now. I worked at MySpace for two and a half years. One of the projects I ran there was MySpace Comic Books. Um, dur- during, during my tenure there, we did the, the first simultaneous day-in-day release. Um, with a digital comic book with Hex with Bloom Studios, and we also launched um, MySpace Dark Horse Presents, which was an entirely online anthology of Dark Horse comics. Um, very proud of this. You know, I, I come from a digital background, spent a lot of time with various technologies and talking about the pros and cons and seeing a lot of the pros and cons in action. So I just I have a comfort level uh, with with digital that some people might have. The other thing is that if you're like me and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a publisher. I'm not a, a distributor. I'm just, I'm just one guy with a comic, you know, and I have to 
come up with strategy and plan that uh, maximizes my strengths and, and, and takes account of my weaknesses and tries to turn those into strengths. And if you're that India, I mean, this is pretty India. I mean, this is about as India as you can get right now. You you have to take advantage of digital. You know, there's just I don't, I don't think there's any way around that. Um, digital offers you uh, such a you know as as a, as a, as a not aspiring publisher, but as a nascent publisher, you know. You, you have a, a store that's available 24 hours a day. Uh, it, you, the book is always in stock, and you don't have to print or ship anything if you don't want to. Um, so I think if, 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 if you are working on this level, you, you are doing yourself a disservice by not considering digital. And and I think and I think that's a, good, a really good point because I mean because both you know you and I have, have both been going to conventions and working in comics for years and seeing it mm-hmm. and, and you know and I came I, you know I came up you know not only you know a Marvel kid but I also you know in the in the mid nineties loved you know the the independent comics and the you know the, yeah. the, the little kinko kinko photocopied folded in half yeah. stapled yeah. You know, and one of the things I noticed a couple of years ago is that's really disappearing and it's either moving to the web on web comics or just people aren't doing it anymore. Um, yeah. And it seems as if, you know, that this idea of, and again, you know, again, you know, I do work in digital, so I'm kind of pro it, but even if I didn't work in digital, <laughs> I would agree with you in saying that if you're a creator, the, you know, this is really the best way to get your work in front of people. Absolutely. You know, it's just, and, and it's not, um, digital comics is a solution. It is not the solution by any means. It's just, it's just another tool in your tool belt. Uh, it's another piece of your strategy. Uh, it, it, it may be a cornerstone of your strategy, but it, it, it can't be your entire strategy. Um, it would just it would just seem like you're you're leaving so much on the table if you are not approaching the digital solution in some way. Right. And so and so now even then though you you still went with the print version uh, admittedly though in a you know more limited kind of capacity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's it, 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 it's funny they bring up the mid '90s because that's you know when I came up too, and back in the day there, you know, you had these titans like Jeff Smith and Paul Pope and David Lapham and all these guys self-publishing their books and just kicking ass at it. Um, and it, you know, it's such a different market back then. And it's, a, it's a different time, but I just remember their example very well. Um, Please don't blame them for my my dog love comic book, but <laughs> it, it it's, it's certainly a lesson that has has stuck with me, which is that if you uh, just just put some work into it, you 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 too can have a comic book. You know what I mean? Like you don't really need anybody's permission to make a comic. Um, so yeah, that example is very strong in my mind. I also you know, looked at it as a, as a very valuable learning experience. You know, anything I do in comics from any angle, I learn something new about the medium itself or the industry or, or any, any aspect of comics. And I felt like I could learn a lot by um, playing publisher a little bit on a, on a very small scale, um, working with retailers, working with, with mail orders, understanding uh, retailers' needs from from their perspective, understanding what a, what a publisher has to go through, even on a very 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 broad sense. Um, but you know, and, and then the other thing is, I just you know, it's still no matter how awesome digital is, it's still a very cool thing to have a comic that you made in physically in the hands of of yourself or your friends and family, of your fans, 
your readers. Um, that's still that's still a very unique and special experience. Right, totally, and and it's also it's almost like I think for at least as we're transitioning, I'm sure the kids that are you know in middle school now are gonna you know will be totally fine with digital comics, but at least for us old guys, it's like I, you, you get you get a sense that it's not real unless you can hold it, and it's not you know like it's the idea of that tangible artifact and that sort of thing. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and no, no matter how like dudes like you and me, no matter how comfortable we are with digital or with technology companies we work for or grow up on the web or whatever. That that's that's something that will probably always stick with us until we are dead. Yeah. Yeah. So so you so you mentioned that you learned a lot by playing publisher. What what probably was the biggest shock or surprise in this experience has been for you, or what was the biggest lesson that you've made from it? <laughs> uh, the the biggest shock would have to be selling out of the first run in under nine hours. Um, that that I did not expect. I didn't even have an inkling that that was going to be the case until during the day on Tuesday. On Tuesday morning, we released some teaser images, and they kind of got out a little bit. Um, and and the the release or, or the list of retailers was posted. And starting in the morning on Tuesday, nearly every retailer on that list called up and asked for more copies, even before it went on sale. And that's that's kind of when I was like, wow, like. Some, some people might read this. <laughs> <laughs> I might have something here. <laughs> some, uh, a, a minimum amount of people might actually purchase this comic. Uh, but then on Wednesday, it just all blew up. Um, I, I, you know, my print run was only 300 copies, so it's not like an Olympian feat. But it, I thought those 300 copies, I thought I'd be pushing those copies out through the end of the summer or longer. Uh, I certainly didn't expect to sell out uh, in nine hours. And, and really, the, the only reason it took nine hours, I, I could have dumped all those off on retailers on Tuesday, but I wanted to set aside a certain amount for mail orders, and those went and up going very quickly. Right. And, j- and just to be clear, like, like you, you, you're doing this all yourself. You, you clearly didn't make Diamond's Minimum. I mean, you're not going through the, the normal distribution oh. channels. This is all, you know, pounding the pavement, calling retailers, mailing copies to them, and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the whole thing. I'm, uh, I'm calling up retailers, like our good friend James Syme, <laughs> and, you know, giving them the hard sell and figuring out what my discount's going to be, and, and then yeah, going going down to the printer and picking up the books and bringing them to my apartment and packing them in boxes and shipping them out. I mean, it's it's all it's all you know. It's it's just me kind of playing at being a publisher and distributor. And, and probably, and hopefully, not running in the opposite direction after the experience. <laughs> but I mean, it really, it really exactly. gives, it really gives you, it really gives you know some context. I mean, some uh, understanding. I mean, like that's the way that's the way people have been doing it since the the '60s. You know, with the whole underground comic scene and things like that. And I think people have really kind of lost sight of you know while you're selling you know a comic for three bucks or whatever it is, you've got to pay for the the mailing. You've got to pay like it's 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 hard to do this and to you know it's one thing for you to say. Okay, I'm going to self-publish my book and just sell it at shows and stuff like that. But you really went, you know, full on with it and get it into the hands of retailers, get it in the hands of many people as possible. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not complaining. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 you know, it, it takes work, and that's yeah. uh, that's that's the the best and worst thing about it. The best thing about it is that you know when it when it does well, you know you've earned it because you know the work you put into it. The, the worst part about it is when it blows up, you're like, oh, shit. I got like, 
I got like over 200 mail orders. I got to like bag and board yep. and steal up and take to the post office. <laughs> yep. You know, and that's, again, that's just me doing it. Like, I don't know, Ron, like you want to come down and have like a, like a, a, a envelope party? Right? I, I totally used to do that. I used to, I used to, I used to publish a, a, a music scene back in the late nineties. And oh, I, yeah, and, you know. yeah, and you I know. literally, I literally would have my friends come over and with boxes of envelopes and boxes of zines and, and we'd have stuffing envelope stuffing parties because I would literally have to process like thousands of orders and it was like, it was a nightmare, but it was I, awesome. I, oh yeah. I, I feel like you and I are like long lost twins because I have a zine in the nineties too. Oh wow. <laughs> Which probably makes me a little, too foolish when I approached something like this. So I was like, oh, you know. I yeah, you think you think you would have remembered? I see. I went full web. I'm fully on the web now. I'm no more print. So it's, I learned. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we're we're the perfect combination of like digital smart and print foolish. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. So so in terms of print, you know, talking about the being print foolish and stuff like that. So um, you know, the, the choice to go black and white was that purely because the the cost involved with doing color, or or was that a stylistic thing that Sanders wanted to do, do it in black and white? Uh, you know, I, I approached them about doing black and white. Just, I mean, like you said, you know, when you're thinking about self-publishing a book uh, and you want to keep costs down, one of the first things you do is you go from color to black and white. Um, and, you know, going going to black and white in this market is a huge sales killer. Um, you know, on the level of, like, Dark Horse or Boom or whatever, if you're black and white, you're able to take a hit. I have the benefit of not being any of those companies, you know, I I I have the benefit of of knowing that like whoever's going to be interested in a book like this on this level is not going to care whether it's in black and white or not. Same with the retailers. I knew that you know I'm not going to be selling to every retailer in, in Diamond's mailing list because I just don't have the time. I'm just going to be reaching out to you know retailers who would be interested in a, a, a very controversial. Uh, indie one shot like this, you know, so it, 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 it helps to kind of know your audience in advance and then you can, you can make decisions like that. You can take risks, you can minimize your own risk. Um, but I, um, on top of that, I, if I had to do it all over again, even if I had, you know, extra money to play with, I would not have done this book in color because Sanders' work ended up looking so gorgeous in black and white that I, I don't want to, I don't want to do it any other way. So and then also what what was the choice that you the format wise you went with kind of the non standard uh, rectangle comic book issue you went with more of the square kind of like sure. more, more like what Archaea does with the uh, with the mouse guard exactly. and stuff like that what was the decision around mm-hmm. that Well the, the conversation between me and Sanders was kind of like this I was like look dude we're we're self publishing we can do whatever the fuck we want we can make it a triangle if we want to you know so. We, we we looked at some various formats. I think the one thing we agreed on right away is let's let's do a new format or you know a, a non-traditional format because uh, we we have the the freedom and the latitude to do so. And same with the black and white. You know we we understood that the the retailers and readers who'd be interested wouldn't be put off by this. Um, and you know there are a couple in the running. The the eight by eight format that we ended up settling on was definitely an early favorite. Uh, just because that's, that was the format I worked on in Fidel Rock for Arkea. And, I, and, I, and it was a lot of fun. I was like, dude, this is great. Let's try it out. And he was like, and Tanner's into it. So that was it. Cool, very cool. And so, um, and then I guess really, kind of my my kind of one of my last questions is that have you gotten? I know it's only been you know barely a week or so since it's been out, but have you gotten any yeah. any word from the ASPCA or any animal <laughs> c- c- committees or anything like that? 
Nope, I, I have not received any uh, outreach, uh, <laughs> no no huge um, blowback along those lines at all. Uh, well, because there's I, really no cruelty there, to the animals in the book. I mean, it's love, right? It's <laughs> there isn't. I mean, it's 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 a it's a highly controversial point of view. I admit right off the bat, and it's not a point of view that I necessarily share. But the way that uh, the main character Jock, who is in love with the dog, the way he looks at it is that it's a mutual two-way relationship. He doesn't look at like coercion or rape. Um, and if if the dog uh, if, if, if his dog China didn't want to have sex with him one day, he'd, he'd be bummed out, you know, because that that aspect of the relationship would mean a lot to him. And this, you know, comes from people like the dolphin sex guy and uh, all sorts of people around the world who are finally kind of coming to light because of the internet. These asexuals, uh, and, I'm, and I'm speaking about in reality now, not in my book. These, these people are out there, and that's probably their 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 biggest fight, their biggest message right now is that. You know, we we are not rapists. We we fully believe that there can be a, a consensual love between um, humans and dogs and humans and whatever. Um, again, you know, it's not necessarily something that that you have to agree with, but it's a very interesting distinction to make. And so then, and so then, what kind of uh, gear shift had to happen between working on Fraggle Rock, which is very much for kids, <laughs> and Our Love Is Real, which is probably very much not for kids, right? <laughs> oh, it's the same thing. It's basically the same bullshit. No. <laughs> um, it, it, uh, good question. You know, um, Fraggle Rock I wrote a long time ago. Uh, by this time last year, it was already my Fraggle Rock story is already out. So. Um, when I wrote it, it was, uh, it, it was, it was a while back. So it was no kind of, you know, it's not like I had to write one one day and the other one the next, but I, you know, there, there's certainly a difference between the two. I think, um, Fraggle Rock, uh, you, you have the benefit of having hours and hours of the Fraggle Rock TV show to look on. Uh, you also have the benefit of what is a very strong uh, and enduring vision by Jim Henson and all his associates um, that becomes very clear when you watch the show as, as an adult. It's, it's not on a preachy level, but, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a very positive message for kids, and that's something they're very conscious of. Working at something like Olive is Real, um, you don't have that kind of North Star to point yourself towards, if that makes sense. You don't have the guidelines. You don't have um, something coming for you. You don't. You don't have an example to look at. Um, when you get blocked or frustrated, you can't just pop in a, a half-hour episode of the Our Love Is Real show from the '80s and, <laughs> and kind of get re-inspired all over again. So I think you know more more than just the, the different levels in, in terms of content. The one being all ages friendly, and the other one being decidedly not all ages friendly. Um, you know, working on your own, create, create your own book, you just, it, it's such a different path to walk down, I guess you would say. Cool. Well, it's super interesting. I really enjoyed Our Love is Real. It really did deliver, hey, man, deliver on a sci-fi kind of level. Yeah, very cool. Um, and for people who haven't checked it out, uh, so the website is ourloveisrealcomic.com, right? That's right. Ourloveisrealcomic.com. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking Tuesday afternoon, but uh, I just picked up the print of the second edition with a brand new variant cover. Um, so the first edition is completely gone. It's sold out. Uh, second edition will be making its way to retailers later this week. Um, it, it is 
probably won't be available on the website by the time this episode goes live. Um, and then, and then we're looking into a possible third edition to bring down to San Diego Comic Con. Very cool, very cool. So, so did it feel pretty cool to see copies of the first printing running on uh, eBay for like fifty bucks? <laughs> I don't know. Cool is the right word. <laughs> kind of, you know, it 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 was definitely gratifying in that it, it's like wow, like like people you know, really want this book. Um, I, you know, I, I, I fully support anyone who can flip a comic on eBay and make a lot of money on it. I was telling my friends and family, I was like, Hey, you got a copy of it for free. Like <laughs> you want to go sell that? I support you. No worries. <laughs> um, but it, you know, like you, you come from the same era coming from the nineties the where the speculation bubble was like, you just feel, I, I must admit I had some conflicting feelings, but ultimately I think it's a good thing because this is not that sort of false scarcity that uh, Marvel, DC, Image, and Valiant used to play on back in the 90s. You know, I mean, this this is definitely, you know, the print runs are 300 copies. This is definitely an extremely small print run, but that's just, that's just the way it is. That's just the function of, you know, the, my my resources and my ability to, to execute on a, on a, on a print run of any size. Um, and if, you know, if, if people see the value in books like that, when they're like original indie works that are, are genuinely scarce, you know, I think that's pretty cool. It's a, it's a new way to look at speculation in the collector market in a way that can benefit um, indie books, creator own books, self-published books, which always need, a little more help in the marketplace. All right, um, and so where where can people find you other than the website? Can they find are you on Twitter? Where where do the self promotion? Absolutely, thing? yeah. Uh, my my website is samhumphreys.com. Very simple. My Twitter is twitter.com/samhumphreys. Also very simple. And my Tumblr blog is samhumphreys.tumblr.com. Well, congratulations again on our love is real, and and we'll keep an Thanks, eye Brian, out. Yeah, we'll keep an sure. eye out for your future work. You got anything else coming out uh, coming down the road or? Uh, Yes, but Can't talk nothing about so it. far along that I feel as, yeah, you know, I'm super superstitious. I don't want to jinx anything, but uh, I'll be sure to let you know as soon as it's ready. I don't blame you. We hear that look, a lot. So. Look, look, look this fall. I'll, I'll say this fall. Okay. As soon as this fall, and I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Sam. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. So big thanks to Sam for giving us some of his time out of his day to talk about Our Love is Real, a book that's really given me renewed faith in the idea of DIY comics publishing. Uh, so go to their website and go to ourloveisrealcomic.com. You can download the digital version or try to put in an order for a print version. Um, it's really exciting. Definitely check it out. It's definitely worth the time. Head over to ifanboy.com where you check out all the other great writing and podcasts and all the other great stuff we've got over there. If you're into comics, ifanboy.com is the place to be. If you have any questions or a creator you'd like to suggest we talk to, shoot us an email at contact at ifanboy.com. So until next time, I'm Ron, and enjoy your comics. Enjoy your comics.